The West Live. The West Live with Ben O'Shea. The West Live. Making news. And joining me in the studio is Sunrise correspondent Matt Tinney. And we've got something exciting. We're going to count down the biggest news stories of the year. And we're not just going to do a top five. We're not just going to do a top ten like other media outlets. We're going to do the top 23 in 2023. I love it. Was there a meeting that decided this? No, I just whipped them up. I just whipped up the <laughs> okay. list myself. But Good yeah. idea. <laughs> and and uh, now we're going to go through them. We're going to count down from the 23rd most significant story to the number one most significant story that you'll okay. hear on Friday. Uh, so let's get into it. 23. On TV, there was one show that was more talked about than any other, and it was, of course, Succession. Oh. They had their season oh. four could do a whole uh, podcast finale. On this. We easily <laughs> could. Uh, it seemed that every episode that was dropped in this season made headline news around the world, especially episode three of the final mm. season, The Death of Logan Roy, uh, played by Brian Cox. Do you remember that? What a well, shocker it, The it thing was. is, completely went against the usual arc for a TV TV series. Yeah. So to have this sort of pinnacle moment so early on in the season was like, what? Yeah. What was, is going on? It was crazy. People yeah. just could not get their heads around no. it. Personally, I don't think it made the series better. Like, I think that last season suffered a little bit because it didn't have Logan I, I, Roy. I he's such a good character. would have killed him off a little later. I agree. I would have yeah. killed him off a bit later. But yeah, what it did good. do is return the series to what it originally was, the idea of a succession and these kids. Uh, it's kind of like a Rupert Murdoch, yeah. News Corp kind of um, parallel. Um, them fighting over the Empire, which I think, you know, took it back to its original vision, which I think was kind of fun. And, and then Who's the, your favourite character? Oh, it changes from... From week oh really? To week. Like I love, I love the dynamic between Tom and cousin Greg. Like they <laughs> always, they always crack me up. <laughs> the Bobsy twins. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and Tom and his little Greglets. Oh, and, I love Shiv. Oh, Shiv, I think is amazing. Yeah. Played by our very own Sarah Snook. Yeah, um, so good. Uh, and Kendall, I feel so sorry for him. You know, he always tends to lose out. Um, and uh, Kieran Culkin as oh, Roman is also genius. hilarious. The lines and in the that relationship show. between oh, him and um, oh god, Jerry. No, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's. So, it's yeah. so such a clever show. Like it, it will absolutely go down as one of the greatest shows in the history of television. Vote for me, just please vote for me, Shiv. Vote for me. No. Yes. No. Shiv, don't do this. No. You can't do this. No. Shiv. no. Absolutely yes. no. not, man. No. Absolutely not. No. Why? No. Why? What? Just. I love you. I really. I love you, but I cannot stomach you. The finale, though, one of the all-time feel-bad finales. Yeah. Like, there were no winners. Everybody lost. Well, I guess the one person left standing was Tom. He's the one who yeah. ended up uh, inheriting the crown. Uh, and there was that, that final kind of sequence where you see him driving off in the back of a uh, you know a town car with Shiv. And it, he's clearly now in the position of power in that relationship after mm. previously not wearing the pants. Yeah. Uh, Roman was sitting alone in a bar sipping a martini sort of smiling ruefully and then that sort of really depressing image of Kendall walking through the park um, looking at the Hudson River looking just completely mm. distraught as he sat there in that final shot of him looking out over the river what a show it was they don't make many like that that's for sure yeah and it just goes to show you know you can have all the money in the world but it doesn't bring you happiness 22.
Now, who could forget the Chinese spy balloon oh, that flew across oh, North America? What a saga. It became, it became internet famous. It was the subject of memes. It featured on US chat shows. Uh, it, it, was, it was on Saturday Night Live. Uh, everybody around the world was fascinated in this spy balloon that was just because it was moving so slowly. Yeah. It started above North American airspace in Alaska, went across Canada, and then down through the US. And it was just traveling so slowly that and your average- TV network's just like <laughs> tracking it. Yeah. Every day it was like spy balloon watch, and yeah. members of the general public who were taking photos with their phones yeah. were excited on social media when they spotted the balloon. Uh, and then the US Air Force shot the thing down uh, off the coast of South Carolina. It was pretty embarrassing for Beijing, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we still don't know exactly. We still don't know exactly what the point mm. of it was. Um, mm. The US recovered the uh, the equipment and they and they investigated it and said they didn't think that it was doing much surveillance, um, but it did have a bunch of equipment on board. Uh, they weren't looking at it as a major breach in security um, and more just maybe an accidental issue uh, of this spy balloon getting out of control. But it was one of a number of incidents involving the Chinese Chinese military this year. Um, there was the sonar blast that yes. injured a. Australian naval divers. Yep. Um, there were some close calls, Chinese naval vessels probably not behaving very well uh, in international waters. Um, but I hope for 2024, maybe international relations with China get back on track after Xi Jinping met with Joe Biden mm. in San Francisco last month. And it's, I mean, the AUKUS deal is, is sort of a sticking point with China. Yeah. But then the flip side, we've seen sort of those trade sanctions yeah, be lifted. Lift, exactly. So, so uh, optimistic. Cautiously, thawing, thawing. cautiously optimistic. <laughs> Trust but verify, I think was Joe Biden's words. <laughs> 21. Hollywood was brought to its knees this year by a couple of strikes. So you had the Writers Guild of America and you had the SAG-AFTRA organisation strike. So all of the actors, yep. all of the writers went out on strike. Um, the Writers Guild were out from May 2 to September 27. Um, so that was over 11,000 screenwriters all, all set, walked off the job. They were picketing out the front of the big studios. Um, the 148-day strike is the second longest in the history of Hollywood. Um, and the actors stayed out um, until November. They were protesting uh, more equitable revenue sharing um, for the content that they help create uh, and they wanted some protections uh, about AI because that's increasingly becoming used in the entertainment industry. And you have to remember many of these actors are not paid a fortune. Yeah, that's right. You know, we're not talking about the megastars. Yeah, and that's exactly it, right? Like I think when when a lot of people hear our actor strikes, they go, I don't have much sympathy for Ben Affleck. Um, But we're not talking about them. We're talking about the, you know, the bit players, uh, the people who have like walk-on roles (laughs) uh, and they might be also, yeah, doing doing a couple of jobs at a time just to make ends meet yeah. and they're the ones that are really um, left out literally left out in the cold um, it was a pretty brutal strike the studios um, initially set a very hard line in mm. negotiations but ultimately um, it was resolved when the studios and the producers came to the party they came back to the negotiating table pretty much gave um, the writers and actors most of what they wanted they got and some protections more, and they? a bit more yeah. they threw a bit extra because I think there was a recognition that you know you can't have movies you can't have TV shows yeah. without the writers um, um, and uh, so they play a, a very, very crucial role, uh, and that was recognised. Interestingly for me, as someone who writes about movies, 2023 will go down as the year when I spoke to more producers and directors than ever in my life. Because they were uh, Because there were no actors. There yeah. were no actors, no writers. The yeah. only ones promoting the movies that were being released were the, the producers. producers. Uh, and so, look, they, it was interesting trying to pitch those stories to the newspaper. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, here's Joe Bloggs' producer that nobody has ever heard of before, yeah. but trust me, trust me, he's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, but we, we got there in the end. 
end, uh, and but it did see a bit of a slowdown on production, and we'll mm. feel that in 2024, was, movies being pushed back. It was interesting, like Drew Barrymore, her show, she end, you know ended it for the strike, but then came, came back, back early, yeah, and then had and then to, had to end it again because the optics are so terrible. Yeah, yeah I think a lot of people struggle to navigate it in Hollywood, um, but it'll be business as usual in 2024, and we'll get to see a lot more of those great TV shows and movies. biggest stories this year that transcended pop culture and really probably became bigger than it really deserved to be uh, was this romance between Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, which capped the most incredible year for Taylor Swift. So let me just run through some stats for you, Maddie. So she had the highest grossing concert film of all time with her Eras mm-hmm. Tour concert film, 250 million US dollars that generated at the box office. Uh, her Eras Tour uh, that that film was based on broke a record as well. It crossed the $1 billion mark, US dollars. So that's what's $1.5 billion Australian dollars yep. this year. Just incredible. Um, but there's been so much talk about her relationship with the Kansas City Chiefs tight end, Travis Kelsey. And what have you made of that this year? I think it's been fantastic for NFL and for Taylor <laughs> Swift. It's been amazing. And, you know, when she did uh, that concert as part of her Eras tour where she changed the lyrics to the yes. song, you know, Karma is the guy on the Chiefs, It's uh, it was just brilliant. I think it's been fantastic to watch um and it's so wholesome isn't it yeah you know and that's the thing about tay tay you know she's got these sort of edgy sides in her songs but it's very wholesome everyone can follow her and travis kelsey just seems like a nice guy that's kind of my impression yeah that's it like the last time i remember a big celebrity relationship uh, at this sort of level was you know maybe like your kanye west and kim kardashian but there was not the same sort of wholesomeness around it not the same like you didn't necessarily (laughs) feel just nothing wholesome about that one there was whereas every time you see taylor swift in the stadium watching travis play and when he does something good which he does quite a lot because he's an insanely good nfl Mm. player you see her she's just so happy and cheering along Uh, and she was of course named time magazine's person of the year and she remember when she ran to the side of stage to go and kiss him when he was at the concert it's just it's just the sweetest thing right and Mm. the relationship was going on for a little bit longer than the public knew about it after he sort of uh, mentioned her on the podcast that he does with his brother he went to one of her concerts um and said he threw a, a little friendship bracelet up on the stage with, yes, a message with his phone, to her, number, with his phone number on it yeah. uh, and then she tracked him down and they were dating secretly and uh, look it's lovely and I think a lot of Taylor Swift fans are very happy for her because yeah. she hasn't had the best luck when it comes to men um, She's going to struggle, though, to get a new album out of him because everything's all roses, and yeah, this is the I thing. She needs Taylor the breakup Swift's for the music, new material. You need the breakup. You need the heartbreak, the angst. I was watching an old interview with her the other day where she was talking about Ed Sheeran calling her because he was at a club, oh. and he said, oh, they've played, you know, Shake It Off three times um, since I've been here. And Taylor Swift said she was so glad because all she's wanted is people to dance to her music and usually what they do is cry. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, so there we go. So Taylor Swift, in from pop culture, I think, you know, she has definitely been the big winner oh, of 2023. Travis Kelsey yeah. along for the ride. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like they're both enjoying themselves. So let's hope 2024 brings us more Fingers Taylor crossed. Swift and Travis Kelsey news. And Maybe do you know what she's been bells? the big winner of as well? What's My that? Instagram algorithm. Because. <laughs> 
that's, that's <laughs> all I get pumped. And, and your, Spotify, your Spotify, your Spotify rap was all Taylor Swift constantly, as well. Constantly, yeah, there constantly. We go. There we go. Now, this story was a fascinating one this year. The story of Kathleen Folbig. Uh, she was reviled as a baby killer. At one point, she was considered Australia's most hated woman when she was convicted in 2003 of murdering three of her children and for the manslaughter of another. Um, but this year, we saw she was pardoned and released from prison in June after 20 years behind bars. And then this month, her convictions were quashed by an appeals court, which is a very rare step indeed after an inquiry examined new scientific evidence and found there was now reasonable doubt about her guilt. Um, what did you make of Kathleen Folbig's story? There's a fascinating wow, interview fasc- on Spotlight as well. Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, I believe her. Yeah. I totally believe her. And I think it's interesting how science over time is changing yep. um, that justice world, that crime world. Um, and just to think that she was locked up for that time. 20 years. For something she didn't do. Yep. And now that that conviction has been quashed, it opens uh, the door for a compensation payout. And legal experts are saying this could be a record payout mm. um, for wrongful conviction. After you know 20 years behind bars, you would certainly hope that uh, she's in line for a pretty decent uh, compensation payout. Yep. And I think we'll get that sooner rather than later in this case. And you think she did that interview, a spotlight interview um, with Nat Barr, and she sort of said that that's going to be it. Like, she doesn't want sort of all the attention or anything. Yeah. She just wants quiet life now, and, and who could blame her? In 2023, Wagner mercenary group chief Yevgeny Prigozhin was killed in a probable assassination on board his Embraer private jet. He was once a petty criminal who served time in a Russian penal colony for stealing a woman's boots off her feet. Uh, Prigozhin, though, is now better known as the man who dared to cross Putin. Uh, After meeting Vladimir Putin in the early 2000s, that changed the course of his life. He became an oligarch and then the chief executive of this private military company, Wagner. Um, and for years, Prigozhin did the Kremlin's dirty work. Um, he sought to spread Russian influence around the globe, um, dealing with uh, Russia's enemies so that Putin and Russia could keep their hands clean. Um, and at his peak, he was regarded as the saviour of Russia's disastrous campaign in Ukraine. That's how critical Wagner was mm. to uh, the Russian assault of Ukraine. Um, but Prigozhin was a risk taker. He was a pretty loose unit. Um, and earlier this year, he had a meltdown, as he put it, and sent his troops marching towards Moscow in really unprecedented scenes Mm. during Putin's reign. Um, He said at the time that he was protecting Putin from a military plot. Um, It was all very, very Mm. dodgy. Um, And Putin uh, did a deal uh, that saw um, uh, Prigozhin go into exile almost. Um, But it was always a strange situation because Putin uh, and Russia have had a long history of dealing with dissidents. Um, You very rarely get to defy Putin and live to tell a tale. Mm. Well, uh, he didn't end up living well, to he tell didn't. the tale. He didn't, right? And so then I he don't was, think it was a coincidence. Not a coincidence. Very, very suspicious <laughs> we'll when his know, plane went I down. I don't think so. No, I, I, we will never know. Um, and it was interesting to see Putin come out and, uh, and you know, sort of give this glowing eulogy after yeah, yeah, Prigozhin's death. Probably pre-written. Um, I think it was probably pre-written. I think he'd been worked on it for a while. And but it was, ima- imagine if he had have stormed, you know, the oh, Kremlin. Like... Yeah. Imagine how the turn of history could have been could have been so different. different. Although I don't know if I'd like to see Prigozhin uh, oh, in the no. Kremlin either. But the, but the thing is, like, Putin's not going to be around forever. Yeah, that's right. 
So right. it's going to happen. Yep, and and I think uh, you know, in, if nothing else, Prigozhin's death in that uh, plane crash sent a message to other oligarchs and enemies mm. of Putin within Russia. Just you know, think, think twice. Um, yeah, fascinating story in 2023. Now, this was a story that a lot of people probably found hard to follow unless you were directly involved, but the robo-debt debacle oh, yeah. was one of the biggest stories in 2023 and certainly one of the Australian government's most catastrophic policy failures. It started off as an automated debt collection tool used by the former coalition government between 2015 and 2019. It used income averaging to unlawfully raise alleged debts and half a million people were impacted to the tune of $1.6 billion. And these were debts that they didn't owe, but they were chased by these robocalls and to the point where it really got quite serious for a lot of people. Mental health Uh, impacts. Mental health impacts. There were suicides. Like There were people who were really, really deeply impacted by this. So there was a Royal Commission uh, that handed down its findings in July this year. They made 56 recommendations about how to ensure that this never happened again. And the government agreed to every one of those recommendations and there was a lot of rhetoric in Parliament about just how horrific this was and of mm. course the Albanese government took every opportunity they could to oh. stick the boot into the previous mob. Um, but yeah, robo-debt, a pretty dark chapter in Australian political history. There was a few big stories in pop culture in 2023 but was any bigger than Barbenheimer? We're in a race against Who? Oh. Barbie. If this doll have a bomb, I know what it means. So that, of course, was the combination of Oppenheimer uh, starring uh, Cillian Murphy, uh, the Christopher Nolan epic about uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb. And then, of course, you had the Barbie movie um, starring our very own Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken. And it was combining those two movies that just created something magical. Even though they were so different, the films could not be more different, but people loved the idea of a Barbenheimer joint posters. They loved the idea of going to see both movies. They were both released on the same day. Mm. There were people uh, seeing them back to back. People seeing them back to back, which yeah. would have probably broken your brain because stylistically they could not have been more different. <laughs> um, now, did you do the Barbenheimer? Did you see See both films this I have, year? I have not seen either of them. You haven't seen? You, no. You know, you might Okay, be... can, can I please... Okay, I feel like I need to provide some context here. So I get up at 2.30 for work, yes. right? If I sit in a cinema, unless it is like Bridesmaids, Stepbrothers, yeah. that sort of comedy type movie, I will fall asleep and very early on. Yeah. And so I just don't tend to go to the movies because if I'm in a dark space and it's comfortable... Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm out like a lot. Well, you you definitely fall asleep during Oppenheimer because okay. it's a long movie and it's sort of slow going, but it's brilliant, brilliant movie. Yeah. I think it could well be the Oscar Best Picture this year. Barbie, very colourful, lighthearted. I didn't love it as much as yeah. some people, um, but I, I tell you how much movie, uh, how much money they made at the box office. So you're talking about mm-hmm. uh, their opening weekend was the fourth largest in American box office history. Wow. Um, and in total, now that the dust has settled, the Barbie movie in US dollars made one. 
$1.44 billion, um, which has set so many records. Uh, the first movie directed by a woman to make a billion dollars, that was Greta Gerwig, who was the director there. Um, just astonishing for that film, uh, mm. far above expectations. And Oppenheimer, which is really more of an art house film than a blockbuster, it made uh, $947 million. Astounding. How uh, much did they cost? Uh, did it cost, cost to make uh, that? So, uh, do you know? A Barbie and Oppenheimer both were sort of sub um, uh, one fifty million, I think. Okay. So they made so they made very good, money, very good I, money. Actually, I must say there is a movie I did not fall asleep in this yeah. year, and that was the Taylor, Taylor Swift, Swift concert, concert film because I, I was that. dancing the whole time. <laughs> On June 18 this year, communications between the Titan submarine and its mothership, the Polar Prince, were lost an hour and 45 minutes into a dive to the wreck site of the Titanic. On board the submersible was Stockton Rush, the American CEO of OceanGate, the company that ran the submarine, Paul-Henri Nargelet, a French deep-sea explorer and Titanic expert, Hamish Harding, a British businessman, Shazada Dawood, a Pakistani British businessman, and Dawood's son, Suleiman. Now, authorities were alerted when it failed to surface at the scheduled time later that day, and when that happened, it kicked off an international search and rescue mission. It garnered global attention, but then four days later, a remotely operated underwater vehicle discovered debris containing parts of the Titan submersible about 500 metres from the bow of the Titanic on the bottom of the ocean, and we realised that the submarine had imploded um, shortly after it commenced its dive. Now, this story just really caught everybody's attention, didn't it? It was a fascinating story and so many elements of it from who was on there, how they came about to being on there, to how it was controlled. It looked like it was almost like a Nintendo I, I type know. thing. Um, and then it became sort of almost like a, a meme type thing as as well afterwards, um, where you had, um, like, you had the Taylor Swift era's concert moment where she sort of appears to dive down and people were going, there she is, going to, you know, yeah, look yeah. for this up. Um, it, it was just a, a fascinating uh, story, obviously a tragic story mm. um, for those involved. But, yeah, ev everyone was just wondering, like, how did this how did this happen and the implosion? How does that work and how much air do they have? Yeah. Um, and I felt like we were all sort of hoping for a miracle and, and it just, just didn't, didn't come. Just didn't come. And it was, a, it, was, it was a really interesting insight into how we consume news as well. Mm. Uh, there was a morbid fascination, I think, that captured uh, the world's attention around this story. Uh, and interestingly, I had a deep sea expert uh, on uh, the West Live a couple of months later who actually knew some of the people involved in that submarine organisation. Uh, and they said that in the deep sea research community, that Titan sub had always raised red flags. Yeah. People thought it was only a matter of time. Um, so that tragedy uh, certainly felt like it could have been prevented. Um, and it was one that we talked about in 2023. And so this was a fascinating news story in 2023, right at the start of the year. And it might have slipped off the minds of a lot of people, but do you remember in the middle of January when a tiny radioactive capsule oh, yes. went missing in Outback <laughs> WA? It was lost off a truck. It's very small. Uh, it's around about six millimetres in diameter and eight millimetres high.
it had casium-137, a radioactive isotope, and it was being transported 1,400 kilometres from a Rio Tinto iron ore mine near Newman to Perth uh, for processing. Uh, and remember when it went missing at it the time? It fell off the back of the it truck, It fell off the back it? of the truck, yeah. and it took a, like a, maybe a week or so before it, we were notified that it was even missing because yeah. I think they maybe hoped that it would just turn up. And then didn't they use a car to try to detect the radioactivity? <laughs> well, they, they brought in, so the authorities brought in specialist search crews, um, yep. firefighters, nuclear science specialists, um, and this special equipment that could detect gamma radiation from uh, 20 metres away. And the plan was to load this equipment on the back of a car uh, and drive the 1,400 kilometres. Right. But it was considered such a difficult thing to find this capsule. Needle it in was a like haystack. A needle in mm. a haystack. And it made global news. Like the BBC, CNN, everyone was reporting on this It was tiny, on the side of the road, wasn't capsule. it, in the end? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. two metres from the side of the yeah. road, 70 kilometres from uh, the mine where it was originally set. The search groups have quite literally found uh, the needle in the haystack. Uh, and so they probably could have found it in a day uh, if they'd used this equipment from the start. Uh, and it took them a week or so. It but they found awesome it. if they put it like in the WA Museum or yeah, something. I know. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was to me one of the, one of the yeah, weirdest like story. surprise stories of mm. the year. 13. On February 6th this year, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake struck southern and central Turkey and parts of western and northern Syria. It was the largest earthquake in Turkey since 1939 and was felt as far away as Egypt. Now, do you remember the, the vision that we got mm. out of that earthquake? It was just absolutely shocking. It widespread damage over an area roughly the size of Germany. Um, an estimated 14 million people in Turkey were impacted. 1.5 million people were left homeless. The death toll now, looking back on it, was just under 60,000 people. Uh, 50,000 in Turkey, uh, nearly 10,000 in Syria. The deadliest earthquake um, in present-day Turkey since the year mm. 526. And remember, it had a, quite a political fallout as huge, well. Huge, huge yeah. political fallout. You're absolutely mm. right. Like the the damage bill was estimated at nearly 150 billion US yeah. dollars in Turkey, and there were a lot of criticism of the Erdogan government over its response, um, over politicising the earthquake response, and also the corruption and negligent management of building building codes. codes yeah, because uh, you remember all of the stories that came out after the mm. earthquake, and people were like, well, you know, basically they had amnesty periods where construction companies didn't even have to get buildings licensed; yeah. they could yeah. just put up whatever they want, and then all these buildings of course, fell they down fell. in the earthquake and mm. killed t thousands of people. Um, disgraceful. And then Erdogan then won the next election. Yeah. So obviously people didn't hold it against him that much or he found a way to weasel out of it. Um, but yeah, that was that was one of the really tragic incidents in 2023. Now, one story that has really dominated state politics in the news cycle this year has been the ongoing saga surrounding Bruce Lerman, um, who, of course, was accused of raping Brittany Higgins in Australian Parliament in 2019, which is something that he has always very strenuously denied. Um, this year, he sued uh, Lisa Wilkinson and her employer, Network 10, over an interview they broadcast with Brittany Higgins on the project in 2021, um, where 
he alleges he was defamed. Um, in December, ACT prosecutors dropped the charges against Lerman in that case uh, against uh, Brittany Higgins, saying that a retrial would pose an unacceptable risk to her health. Um, as I said, he's always denied the allegation. Um, he pleaded not guilty uh, to one charge of sexual intercourse without consent. Um, but now this civil case against uh, Network 10 and Wilkinson has brought the matter back to the fore. Uh, we've seen daily coverage, uh, media outlets doing live blogging of everything that's said in court. Um, and the burden of proof is very different uh, in a civil case. Mm. And so we've seen Network 10 um, trying to uh, say that they had the defence of justification. In other words, they're arguing that the imputation that, that Lerman raped Higgins is substantially true. They're also arguing public interest. Um, but as a result, we've seen some uh, fascinating things come out. Uh, secret audio recordings, mm. um, testimony from uh, various uh, colleagues, former colleagues, former um, uh, political staffers. It has been something that has captured the attention of the nation. I can't necessarily say that it, overall it's a positive, though. Uh, not, I don't think there's any winners yeah. in this case whatsoever. Um, and what disturbs me about it is I can't help but feel um, that it makes victims of rape question whether they should, should come, come forward, forward or not. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, it certainly uh, is is dragging everybody through the mud, including, including Brittany Higgins, um, and that case will continue uh, for a few more uh, days and weeks to come. Climate change was a story that just kept rearing its head in 2023. It will be the hottest year on record. Do you remember all the times we spoke about a new record being set? Oh, oh this we is spoke the about climate month. change so much yeah, this, this year. Is, this yeah. is, oh, no, now's a new hottest week, yeah. a new highest temperature ever recorded uh, by the Copernicus Climate Change Service. Um, and so the official declaration that it was the hottest year on record was made weeks before the end of the year, yeah. which has never been done before. Um, and then on top of that, you had all of the impacts of climate change. You had those terrible wildfires in Maui, uh, the yeah. wildfires in Canada that impacted yeah. Euro air quality. Europe. Europe as well. Yeah. Um, and then it finished off this huge year in climate change news with COP28 that just happened um, in December in the United Arab Emirates. And that probably was pretty symptomatic of the climate change debate this year. A lot of good intentions, yeah. um, not a lot of tangible uh, action. Um, and so we'll go into 2024 not really a whole lot better than we were in 2023 when it comes to dealing with man-made climate change. But something has to be done because, you know, you look at that 1.5 degree increase threshold and the catastrophic impacts that that will have on the world, um, you know, that could come sooner rather than later yeah. unless we do something. 2023 saw a number of famous faces leave us. Uh, as always, there are deaths. It's a part of life. Um, but this year we lost a few great ones and probably none loom larger than the death of Matthew Perry. Okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Will you watch my phone? Why don't you just take it with you? Hey, we haven't been on a second date. She needs to hear me pee. <laughs> Why don't you just call her? I can't call her. I left the message. I have some pride. Do you? No. The friend star who died drowned in his spa in the backyard of his home after mm. playing pickleball earlier that day. Uh, remember Matt Perry's death? Like, we were talking about pickleball. Did pickleball kill yeah. him? Was it drugs because he battled addiction for yeah. a large part of his life? Uh, that was a sad one. We also lost Tina Turner. What's Uh, Dame Edna. Hello, possums. 
Barry Humphreys, of course. Yeah, big um, one. Uh, in the sporting world, Ron Barassi was huge. Mm. Uh, that his, his loss. They talked about renaming the, the AFL Premiership Cup, the yep. Barassi Cup. Um, we lost singers. We lost Tony Bennett, Sinead O'Connor. Um, we lost Jerry Springer. Uh, we lost uh, Aussie chef uh, Jock Zonfrillo. Um, we lost Lisa Marie Presley, Michael Gambon from the Harry Potter movies. Um, it, it, famous model uh, Raquel Welch. We lost Bert Bacharach, uh, Cal Wilson, Aussie, yeah, uh, Aussie that New was Zealand such a shock, that one. comedian, yeah. um, Alan Arkin, uh, famous actor. We lost Indigenous leader Mr. Unipingu, uh, uh, Silvio Berlusconi, former Italian PM, yeah. uh, Rolf Harris and George Pell. Don't know if anybody will miss them, um, but we will definitely Interesting miss. Interesting that they both went out in the same year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we, we will miss Father Bob Maguire. Father Bob. I know, loved um, Father He was a Bob. big, a big friend of the show. We had him on a yeah. number of times. And just such, like in an organisation that in like the Catholic Church where anyone who's different is usually shot down, he was just able to rise above it. Yeah, absolutely. He was an absolute legend. We miss your Father Bob. Um, Renee Geyer at the start of this oh, year. Yeah. You, might, you might have forgotten that yeah. one. Um, and most recently in December, Andre Brora from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, mm. Captain Holt, um, which shocked a lot of people. He died at just 61 after a short battle with illness. So, yeah. So many big, big names. names. When big you put names, them all right? together like that. I know. And unfortunately, all of these huge names, iconic faces in the entertainment industry and sports world, um, they, a lot of them are getting to that age now. So I think over the next few years, we will see some of the greats um, uh, sign off for the last time. It's sad, but uh, it's also an opportunity to remember their wonderful, wonderful lives and contribution mm. uh, to pop culture. And that's certainly what we'll do, whether it's watching an episode of Friends or listening to Nutbush City and celebrating Tina Turner. Many, many ways mm. uh, to celebrate all of these wonderful people that we lost in 2023. Now, one of the most embarrassing news stories for the state government this year was the dramas around the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage legislation. Oh, yeah. So that came into effect in July this year. So this was designed to prevent another Duke and Gorge disaster, right? Uh, and so the intentions behind the legislation was good. Mm. Uh, it was it was drafted uh, in 2021 and, and finally came into effect. the thing was before the Gorge disaster yeah. that they started yeah, that's right. on this, that's wasn't right. it? Yeah. Uh, but then there were all of these amendments um, yeah. before it eventually came into effect and as a result they ended up with this legislation that industry leaders, farmers and community members um, found so confusing and complicated and there were stories about, you know, there was tree planting along the Swan River that was scrapped at the 11th hour because they weren't sure if it breached the yes. new, uh, cultural heritage legislation. Put a, farmers couldn't put a fence in yeah, or dig yeah. or yeah. And, and look, there was there was probably a little bit of misinformation coming out as well. Uh, the government tried their best to say, look, these, the, the, some of these issues are not are not really a problem. You just have to work mm. th work through the issues. But uh, under the new legislation, um, landowners were required to check if cultural heritage sites were present on the land before undertaking anything. Um, and and it also raised concerns among um, indigenous groups as well because they weren't sure they had the resources to be able to conduct all of these surveys. It put mm. a lot of pressure on some Aboriginal organisations to do that as well. Remember when the price list came out about like yeah. how much it would cost for someone to do an assessment or yeah. come so, out and there? It was, yeah. so we were talking daily news yeah. uh, this cultural heritage laws uh, were, were causing controversy and after five weeks of that yeah. uh, Premier Roger Cook eventually bowed to the criticism and announced that he was going to rewrite the law
laws. So in August, uh, after introducing them in July, those laws were scrapped uh, after five weeks. Pretty yeah. embarrassing. But I and think, I think it's made the government nervous since. Yeah. Oh, big I time. think they've been very tentative about doing anything uh, that could be controversial. Well, that's the thing, right? Like once once you release something and then you back down, you set a precedent that but, I think is pretty yeah. dangerous. It's, it's uh, really dangerous because the government is meant to lead, yeah. whereas now the government's going, oh, we yeah. don't like the reaction. Yeah, exactly. Even though most people agreed that it was the right thing to do, yeah, like yeah. when the legislation wasn't working, they could have kept persisting and it caused just a complete disaster. Uh, instead, they... You know, they took their medicine, mm. um, scrapped the laws and brought in a revised version of the original 1972 Cultural Heritage Act um, with some protections to prevent your duke and gorges from happening in the future. Uh, the right decision in the end, but certainly a black eye for the Cook mm. government very, very early on in his tenure. Yeah. Now, one of the biggest stories in the last few months of the year has been the High Court's decision to release detainees uh, from immigration detention Um by surprise, took everybody by surprise, including the Albanese government. It's been a huge shock to his government. The decision by the High Court centred on the case of one man uh, who had been in immigration detention after serving a sentence for child sex offences and he couldn't be deported. He also couldn't be released into the community. And so basically you had this situation where these non-citizens were being held indefinitely, which the High Court deemed uh, illegal, and they released 149 of them, uh, some of whom were criminals, some of whom were violent criminals uh, with sex offences and violent crimes to their names, uh, they were just dumped out on the street unceremoniously. Mm. Here you go. You've been locked up for years. Now here's a, a cheap hotel on the outskirts of Perth mm. and other cities around Australia. Uh, just, uh, you know, good luck to you. Yeah. Uh, and it was terrifying to many Australians. It was embarrassing for the Albanese government and they've been trying to clean it up ever since. Yeah, and some allegedly went on to commit more offences. Yeah, well, well, they rushed through legislation that was based on um, anti-terror laws mm. to put some of these people back behind bars. They didn't have to worry. Some of them put themselves back behind bars yeah, yeah. by committing more crimes. Um, pretty badly handled. Obviously, uh, Albo doesn't have control of the High Court. No, this is this is the thing. The, the opposition really went to town on oh, the yeah. government, didn't yeah. they? Got but huge the thing mileage. is, it was a High Court decision. You can't really make the argument, well, they should have had, you know, you know, all of these laws in place beforehand when you don't know what the High Court decision and reasons are, yeah. you know? Yep, absolutely. Uh, and no doubt we'll be keeping on talking about it in 2024 as they try and close all those loopholes uh, and uh, deal with uh, an ongoing migration issue that the government has struggled with so far. So the last time Britain held a coronation was on a rainy spring day in 1953. Then Prince Charles was just four years old. Yeah. Well, it was another rainy spring day in May this year, 70 years later, when that little prince was crowned a king. You remember that? The coronation yeah. of King Charles this year? God save the king! God save the king! It just didn't have great excitement around it, no. did it? No. Well, the, the main excitement leading up to it was whether or not uh, Prince Harry was going to be there, yeah. wh whether he was allowed to wear his military regalia. That's Remember right. that? Um, and then in the end, he did rock up after all of that fighting that had been going on mm. between him and the royal family. Um, Meghan and the two kids did not show up. They chose to remain in the United States. Um, and then when Prince Harry did walk into Westminster Abbey for the ceremony, um, it was with his cousins, Princess 
Princess Beatrice and Princess Eugenie. It wasn't with kind of the the main key royals yeah. right at the front of the queue. Um, and he also wasn't wearing his military uniform, but Prince Andrew, disgraced member yes. of the royal family, was. And I think that probably put a lot of people's noses out of joint. Yeah. I, don't, I just don't think, even, you know, even though you're having a bit of a war of words with Harry... You know, nothing compared to Prince Andrew and the optics around yeah. him. And um, I mean, in every family from time to time has fallouts. It's just for them, it's so public. Yeah, and I think, you know, the only thing for me that took a bit of the shine off the coronation in terms of um, the pomp and ceremony mm-hmm. was we'd only kind of just had the huge uh, pomp and ceremony around the funeral of um, Queen Elizabeth yeah. II. Uh, and so it was kind of like, oh, we're doing this again. More pomp. More pomp, too much pomp. Um, even though it was a bit of a stripped down version of a coronation, I I would hate to see what the full-on yeah, version no. was. Um, but Matilda's star, Sam Kerr, was the flag bearer for the Australian rep- uh, representation. Right. Um, Anthony Albanese was there as well. Um, Governor-General of Australia, David Hurley, was there. Um, so, look, it was a big moment for Royal Watchers. Um, and now, I guess we all just continue on. Yeah, the monarchy just doesn't seem to have the same excitement no. with Charles at the top. You know, it might change with William. Now, before this year, I have to admit, I'd never heard of Liam Gaffer. Oh. In in the foothills of of South you heard Gippsland, of mushrooms? yeah. Well, I have now, uh, and so it's about 135 kilometres southeast of Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and at the 2021 census, Leon Gatha had a population of just uh, under 6,000 people. So yeah. a small town, town, a small town, but it made international news Ooh. in 2023 over. A beef Wellington dish that was cooked allegedly by Erin Patterson. What I can tell you is that I just can't fathom what has happened. I just can't fathom what has happened. That Ian and Heather have lost their lives and Gail has lost her life and Donna's still in hospital and I pray, I pray that he pulls through because my children love him. On July 29, it was served at lunch for her former in-laws, Don and Gail Patterson, Gail's sister Heather Wilkinson and her husband Ian at her home. Um, Patterson claims that her two kids went to the movies at the time of the lunch, um, but she has been accused of putting poisonous death cap mushrooms in this beef wellington. And as a result of that meal, uh, police allege that the four guests were admitted to hospital um, with suspected gastro. Um, Patterson herself also went to the hospital with stomach pains. Um, but five days after the lunch, Gail Patterson and Heather Wilkinson died in hospital. Uh, the Victorian police launched an investigation. Um, a day later, Don Patterson also died in hospital. And then after this story had made international news, people talking about it, um, on November 2, Erin Patterson was charged with three counts of murder and five counts of attempted murder. Um, and they, the police will allege that she uh, tried to murder her ex-husband, Simon Patterson, um, in 2021 and 2023 on the day of the lunch. Um, and she appeared in Latrobe Valley Magistrates Court on the 3rd of November, which, of course, Australia was watching. And she's been remanded in custody to face uh, court again on May 3, 2024. But wasn't that a story that just... Just, just fascinated the world. Gripping story and just every twist and turn, every interview, every little detail. 2023, not a good year for mushrooms. No. Um, well, you know, that people was it, then like... started... Look, I don't, I don't like mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, that's anyway, right. You're, so a, you're a mushroom I'm not, I'm not a, critic. Yeah, yeah. So it, it didn't affect me. But lots of people obviously were then going, oh, I don't know if I should 
find mushrooms Ooh, anymore. That's right. Mushroom farmers had to come out yeah. and say, look, you know, this death cap mushrooms, that's not the sort that we sell in the Woolies. Yeah. So don't stop, don't stop exactly. buying your button mushrooms. Yeah, keep yeah. putting them Please in your stroganoff. Get your anokis, all that. Yeah. The, the thing is, and, and not to speak to, you know, her guilt or innocence, but just the prospect that there could be sort of like a poisoning like this, it's mm. almost medieval, isn't yeah. it? You know? Yeah, bizarre, which I think is why it made such uh, big news around the world. Uh, it's very rare that we see a story like this, and no doubt it will dominate the news cycle when she's mm. back in court in May next year. Now, Wikipedia in December released its list of the 25 most viewed articles on the English Wikipedia okay. site uh, this year. Now, do you want to know what number one was? Oh. Chat GPT. Oh, that uh, doesn't so, surprise me. Which actually. gives you an idea of how artificial intelligence has become so prevalent and dominated uh, discussions in 2023. Collins Dictionary announced AI as its word of the year. Uh, and even though ChatGPT technically was released in November 2022, mm. this was the year where it went mainstream uh, in such a big way. We Did saw, you use it much? Oh, I only used it once when I had yeah. to MC a forum about artificial intelligence. And so I wanted to see what ChatGPT okay. would come up with. Was it good? Complete garbage. Yeah. But it was it was great. That was perfect for what I needed yes. because I read it out and I proof. said, oh, well, here we go. Yeah. I don't think AI is going to take my job anytime soon. But we saw school systems struggle to deal with the issue of students using it. Um, and then we saw a lot of those same school systems backflip and encourage teachers yeah. to use it to come up with their lesson plans. Um, and in December, the boss of Sports Illustrated was forced to quit over a controversy where the media outlet was publishing articles that were written by AI, but they pretended they were written by actual humans. Um, so I think my takeaway with when it comes to AI in 2023 is humans still haven't really figured out how best to use it. Yeah. I mean, I went through a period of just testing it out, like write me like a meal plan with chicken and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, this is interesting that it can do this. But am I using it now? No, not yeah. at all. It's a bit of a novelty, right? Well, probably yeah. after it suggested you put death cap mushrooms yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. Uh, it, well, this is the thing. Like the AI are these, use these large language models that just kind of scrape the internet yeah. um, and then they give you a response based on previous questions and responses. So it doesn't really create anything new. Um, but And then adding to all of the drama around AI, uh, we saw you know OpenAI CEO Sam Altman. He was given the boot by the board mm, this year. Right. Uh, and then he was rehired after about a week. Uh, and then there was all this talk about a new AI that OpenAI had developed that was even more sophisticated than ChatGPT4 uh, and and what that might mean for humanity. Uh, one thing's for sure, we're definitely going to be talking about AI in 2024 uh, and for the foreseeable future. Some people might see that as a positive. Some might see it as absolutely terrifying, but it is absolutely here to stay. Now, there's no doubt this next story was absolutely huge in Australian politics, in Australian history. I'm talking, of course, of the voice referendum on mm. October 14. Australians went to the polls to vote on whether to change the constitution to recognise the first peoples of Australia by establishing a body called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voice. Uh, it was the first referendum of the 21st century. And this was the question that was put to the Australian people. A proposed law to alter the constitution to recognise the first peoples of Australia Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve this proposed alteration? They did not approve. Uh, Australia did not approve that question and the referendum didn't pass. 60% of Australians voted against it. Looking back over it, now the dust has settled. What do you make of the voice uh, campaign? Looking back over it, I mean, the campaign... 
uh, from the yes side was botched from the start yeah. by the fact that there was a lack of detail that came out from the government and the government kept saying, well, we just get it across the line and then we'll sort out the nitty-gritty. People wanted the nitty-gritty first. I think that was a big failure. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a bit of a win, them getting John Farnham for their ad campaign, but by that stage the damage had been done and then yeah. people were angry at John Farnham for... You know, yeah, even giving his, his song crook, across to the yeah, yeah, to the Yes campaign. I, I wish that we had have just got, at the very least, recognition in the Constitution, you yeah. know, as, as a first step. Now, in hindsight, and maybe it was a bridge too far for too many people. Yeah, and that was, I think, the what has come out in some of the research post-referendum is that if the, the, the issue had been split, if... One issue was just constitutional recognition. Mm. That would have passed. Um, and then the voice separate to that. Um, and look, Anthony Albanese uh, deserves some of the criticism for it not passing. He made it very political when he, he mentioned it in his victory speech when he was elected prime minister. Um, and, you know, it was based on the Uluru Statement from the heart. Um, the interesting thing is regions with a high proportion of Indigenous Australians overwhelmingly voted yes. They wanted it, uh, didn't they? They wanted it. Yeah. Um, so it was pretty sad, sad period in Australian history for Indigenous Australians but, mm. you know, talking to a lot of them it's the, the overwhelming response was, well, we're used to it. Yeah, we're used to it. That campaign, if you don't know, vote no. I mean, it's yeah. the most oh, Nathaniel campaign I've ever heard of. Yeah, exactly. Like it pandered to ignorance, which is not the way we want to be as a country. There was also misinformation spread on social media. Uh, yeah, it was not the proudest moment no. uh, in Australian history, that's for sure. But now we move on in 2024 and we try and do it together. It's all we can really do. On October 7, Hamas gunmen launched an unprecedented assault on Israel from the Gaza Strip, killing 1,200 people and taking about 240 hostages. It was an incident that shocked the world. The images of these fighters storming a music festival, uh, grabbing the punters at the festival and dragging them off uh, in the back of Utes back into the Gaza Strip. Uh, it kicked off a visceral response from the Israeli military. They responded with airstrikes in Gaza. Gaza launched a ground offensive. Uh, according to the Hamas-run health authority, uh, 18,600 people have been killed in Gaza as a result of that response. Um, during a temporary truce uh, that lasted seven days, Hamas released 105 hostages. Israel freed 240 Palestinian prisoners. Uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, said that Israel had a clear goal of destroying Hamas's military and governing capabilities. Um, but this has become a conflict that has really spilled over beyond just the region of the Gaza Strip uh, and impacted global politics, very similar to um, Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, and right around the world and here in Australia, and you see friends, even on social media, some are posting pro-Israeli things, some are posting pro-Palestinian things. And so, you know, this conflict really has travelled thousands of kilometres. Um, it's a blight on humanity, isn't it, this yeah. whole thing? Yeah, it is. I think, you know, the important thing to talk about, take politics out of the equation and just talk about humanity. Yeah. Um, because it, anytime civilians are being uh, targeted either directly or indirectly and losing their lives, I yeah. think it's a tragedy that I think we all should be concerned about. Uh, the UN was concerned. They tried to pass a non-binding resolution um, for a ceasefire, which Australia signed. That was a bit of a surprise and a change uh, in direction a little bit from yeah. the rhetoric then that we the had US got. Um, and the US vetoed. 
downloaded. Uh, and so uh, this is set to continue in 2024, sadly, um, and uh, no doubt uh, more innocent civilians will um, pay the ultimate price. Yeah. On May 29, WA was rocked by the shock resignation of Premier Mark McGowan, one of the biggest shocks in WA political history. At the age of 55, the state daddy, yeah. citing exhaustion as the main reason, pulled the pin um, before the next state election, which you'd think he was sure to win. So, you know, he had absolute glory in his sights. Uh, the longest-serving Premier, most elections wins just right there for the taking. Um, but he resigned instead. This job is like no other. After seven elections across nearly three decades, now is the right time to step away from the job that I have loved. Therefore, I'll be resigning as Premier and Member for Rockingham. This week will be my final week. It's not a decision I've taken lightly. I've been considering it for quite a while. But the truth is I'm tired, extremely tired. In fact, I'm exhausted. The role of political leadership doesn't stop. It's relentless. It comes with huge responsibility that is all-consuming each and every day. And, and combined with the COVID years, it's taken it out of me. Now, what did you make of that? Uh, I'm still suspicious about this whole thing. <laughs> I'm still suspicious. I just, the way he was saying, like, I'm exhausted, and then next minute he was taking on all these yeah, board minute, roles and consultant <laughs> now, roles. So, so the bloke it is, just doesn't, was it doesn't make sense. He was exhausted and he had to chuck it in, even yeah. though he survived COVID, which was much tougher than what he was doing now. Uh, and now he's got four jobs, various board positions with BHP and Minres. He took a job with yeah. Joe Hockey. Um, so he's probably working working harder than ever. Yeah, um, but just, I mean, and then getting paid more. And getting paid more as well. So, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like there's there's something there. I would love to know and we may never we know. We may never know. But, but just to know, recap, recap. Smoke the so he was in parliament. He was right. in parliament for 26 and a half years. So it's, I a mean, long it's a long stint. time. Um, he led Labor in opposition and government for 11 and a half of those years. Um, he took the top job in WA in 2017, but it was COVID, of course, that propelled him to unprecedented power, um, you know, with his hard border yeah. policies and all the rest of it. Uh, when he became the state daddy, people were getting his face tattooed on their, their, their body, which was a bit weird. He became a sex symbol. And then, of course, in the 2021 state election, uh, he just dominated. It was the most one-sided election result in Australian history. 53 of 59 seats in yeah. the lower house, establishing him as a political rock star. And remember when he had an approval rating of 91%? Uh, just bizarre. You look at it now and you think, there's no way a politician could ever get a 91% approval rating. McGowan no. did it. Um, uh, he didn't. He didn't win everybody over. There were a lot of people that probably were a bit over uh, Marky Mark by the end of it. Um, and he kicked off a raft of resignations from other COVID uh, premiers yeah. around the nation. Dan Andrews in Victoria pulled the pin after Mark McGowan, which was also yeah. a Palaszczuk. big shock. Palaszczuk, probably not yeah. as much of a shock. I think people were kind of pushing yeah. her out yeah, the yeah. door. Uh, and it opened the door for Roger Cook to come in, who was kind mm. of like a, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride yeah. kind of situation. Uh, and and we'll see what 2024 well, it's going to be an interesting uh, state election, oh, isn't yeah. it? Yep, the run-up to that uh, 2025 yeah. state election is going to be fascinating. And now it's time for the top story of 2023. And I don't think there can be any doubt about this one. This is something that I'm so proud of us as a nation. And here's Sam Kerr. She's going to need some support. Kerr running at Bright. Kerr with a shot. Oh! 
Uh, it is, of course, the Matildas, Matildas <laughs> mania, which swept the nation during the Women's Soccer World Cup. Do you ever remember seeing anything like that in Australian sport? What, what a moment. What a moment for women's sport. What a moment for sport. Full stop. And just the way kids were so into this. And I'd never seen anything like it where we were following a women's sporting team. And, you know, it wasn't because they were women, just because they're such an exciting team to watch. So many great personalities. And, you know, of course, Sam Kerr was always named, but so many of these other players became household names yeah, Mary because Fowler, of that. Ellie yeah. Carpenter. Yeah. Uh, so many of the Matildas now household names. And as you say, it was such a great moment for women in sport, for girls around the nation yep. looking at these superstars and the popularity and attention they were getting and thinking, that could be me. Yeah, and then when they came to Perth for the Olympic qualifier, they had to move, you know, yeah, they had game to move from it to Optus Optus Stadium, to stadium. 60,000 people. I, mean, how... I was there. Sam Kerr scored a hat-trick. Yeah, just such an amazing story, and I hope they go on to even more success. Yeah, and the, and the Women's World Cup, I think, will have to go down, uh, certainly as the greatest Women's World Cup in FIFA mm. history. Uh, I think it was an absolute high-water mark for Australian sport. Um, full stadiums, incredible games, yeah. even though Australia did make the finals. We made it to the semis, which was an yep. awesome result. Um, we we probably did uh, as good as we could have possibly expected to. Um, the final tarnished a little bit about uh, by that uh, <laughs> Spanish uh, you know football boss uh, Louis Rubiales yeah. uh, and the unwanted holding kiss. herself hostage oh, in the yeah, church. Yeah. On yeah. That was that was a bit of a dud yeah. end. But uh, we will remember the Matildas and long may they reign. I really feel that they are now the top brand in Australian yeah. sport, uh, which they is. Can do no wrong. They can do no wrong. Mm. Uh, we just love them. The Matildas, you are our number one story for 2023. They'll probably achieve some other things in 2023, but <laughs> the number one news story for the West Live, uh, there you go. Well-deserved indeed.